All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Dropping the Gloves with John and Tim. I'm in a great mood, Tim. Like, I'm usually in an okay mood. I'm in a great mood this morning. Like, I, I could not, I could not be happier. It was a great weekend. It was, uh, it was just, I was floating on cloud nine. Do you know why? It started off fantastic. I think you know why. I think that's, that's why you're in a bad mood. Saturday evening. The Buffalo Bills matched up with the New England Patriots. I was a little nervous going into this. It was their third meeting. Bill Belichick is known as the mastermind, the the science, the mad scientist. He he's going to find a way to beat the Buffalo Bills. You're not going to beat them twice in one season. It doesn't happen. Not with Bill Belichick. He is the best coach in the modern professional sports teams era. Like he's the pinnacle of coaches, you would say, right? Out of all the coaches in all the sports league, maybe Phil Jackson gets, is in the same kind of air as a Bill Belichick. Well, they came into Buffalo and they got absolutely embarrassed. Is embarrassed the right word, Tim? Um, yeah, embarrassed. Yep. Yeah, it is. Set an NFL record. Seven possessions the Buffalo Bills had. Seven. Seven consecutive touchdowns, not one punt, not one field goal, seven consecutive touchdowns. And we're not talking 50-yard drives, 81, 83, 79. Like these are marching down the field, just picking apart the league's second-best defense. And I, I texted Tim halfway through the game, mockingly saying, hey, When's the Bills Pats game? And he took the bait and hook, line, and sinker. He goes, oh, it's on right now. And I said, Oh, I thought the Bills were playing some junior varsity team to lead up to the game because it's it was an absolute clinic. Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills put on. The Patriots didn't even stand a chance. Like I was listening to it on the radio because I don't have a TV. It's lifestyle choice. And it was just it was cruel what they were doing to the New, Eng- New England Patriots. It was absolutely disrespectful what they did. 47-17, it was, it was over before it even started. It was, I don't know, what are your thoughts on the game, Tim? 
Any thoughts on that beat down? Well, the only reason I took the bait was because you didn't have a TV. And I'm like, mm, maybe, he just, maybe he actually doesn't know. And as soon as I sent the text, I was like, Tim, you moron. <laughs> just took it. <laughs> um, it was tough. I, so this is my first weekend in Charlotte. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to a bar. I'm going to have fun. And like, when I watch the game, the only bar I went to, actually, I went to two. The first one was too, it was too crowded. So I left all Bills fans. The next one I go to, all Bills fans. And I'm like, really? oh, no. Yeah. Um, and I missed the first, like, six or seven minutes. It was already 7 nothing. I sat down. Within 10 minutes, it was 21 nothing. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I don't want I mean, I'm not a pro football analyst or anything like that. But the thing that stuck out to me, I mean, obviously, the Bills outplayed them in every way. Scoring, running, receiving, coverage, everything. The, the number one thing that really struck me more than anything else was the Patriots' inability to tackle. It was the tackling. It was like, it was one play where Josh Allen had nothing. He ran for nine yards and slid, and it was a great play. But, like, he broke two tackles that shouldn't have been broken. And it wasn't because he did anything fancy. Like, they, they couldn't get their fingers on him. And it was just, like, it was embarrassing. There's no other word for it. So, this is, in case there was any doubt, the dynasty is officially over. That's for sure. And this is the Buffalo Bills division for the next 10 years. It's Mac Jones did not look like the answer for the New England Patriots going forward. He really did not. No, but he was the least of their problems, to be fair. Like he was not the problem. Um, uh, The team's old. Like Hightower didn't look good. McCordy didn't look good. Like all the the guys that have won you all those rings, they're they're done. They look old is the is the right answer. The Bills looked fast. Now they run into the New England or the Kansas City Chiefs. Which is going to be – there's two games this weekend coming up. The Rams at the Buccaneers and the Bills and the Chiefs. There's, it's just unbelievable that these four teams are going to match up in the semifinals because there's still two other games that are the Titans and somebody and I don't know who else. But it's two high-profile games going on in the NFL. But we're going to move on to the NHL. I just – I love m- myself some Bills. Do you have a Patriots jersey? Uh, no. I had one as a kid. I had a Vinatieri jersey. Vinatieri, classy kicker. I like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny jersey. Not very often you get a kicker's jersey. Very, well, he very won few. like two Super Bowls in back-to-back years, and I was like, heck yeah, let's go. Mr. Clutch, um, number four, was he? Yep. Nice, Adam Vinatieri. You know, much like the Patriots in the NHL, you got to know when it's time to just fold them. It's time to walk away. It's time to hit reset. It's time to stop just grasping at straws. Like, oh, we're going to turn it around. It's going to be the year. You know, we we got it. We're going to win the Stanley Cup. And, and it's a hard thing to admit because it admits you're, you're a failure. It admits that you didn't have it. You're not the best team. And it takes a, you know, it takes a big man to admit that. And a lot of times you live in la-la land, and this is this happens to a lot of NHL GMs. And it's happening right now to the Edmonton Oilers. And they've been in a free-for-all. I know we talk about them a lot, but I, I always in the back of my head have this idea that they're going to turn it around. They're going to figure it out. They're going to start piling up wings, wins like they did at the beginning of the year. They're too good to be this bad. But I think the realization is I read a couple good articles on this, and someone wrote that let's not get – you know, it twisted with the Edmonton Oilers. They are an average five on five team, maybe below average. They have a really great power play and they have a terrible PK and they have bad goaltending. So when you add all those things up, unless they're clicking on the power play 
at a really high level rate like they were in the first 15, 20 games when they were knocking all the records out of the park when they were clicking a clicking along at 35, 40%, unless they're playing at that elite level on the PP, they have no chance of winning any hockey games on a consistent basis. And this came to a head the last 20 games. They have been just terrible. They were beat badly, absolutely badly a couple games ago. And it was the final straw. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the final nail in the coffin, in my opinion, They lost to the Ottawa Senators. They were winning three to one going into the third period. And the Ottawa Senators, Tim, were the team in the third period that just said, nah, this is our game. They outscored Oilers five to one in the third period. They had a rookie goaltender, the Oilers starting because Mike Smith and that other guy, Koskinani, they are not the answer. So they let this Stuart Skinner guy, he's been playing well in Bakersfield. They gave him the net, and it was his his runway was so long with this crease. If he would have played good, he's a hometown kid, this would have been his net for the rest of the season. This was the answer. He played terrible in the third period. Mistake after mistake. It was just, it was a terrible third period. He is not the answer. The Oilers lose six to four, and that's the season. That's it. That's It's all she wrote, fellas. They're not coming back from this. This is it. We're going to stop talking about the Edmonton Oilers because there's no way they are. I'm calling it. I'm the coroner. This is it. They're done. I have, I, you know, I bashed the Oilers a lot, but like I said, I thought they were going to make, you know, turn the corner. It was only amount of time, but I don't know. Am am I over-exaggerating this Tim? It just seems like they're a bad hockey team. They're a really bad hockey team. Since the break, I thought they were going to come out and just be on fire. They've lost five in a row since the break. They've won two in the last 13. This is not a good hockey team. I mean, no, it's not overstated because you blow it like a bad third period loss to like Vegas, for example. It's like, okay, well, you know, Vegas is stars. I can turn it on at any point. The Ottawa Senators, they're four. I just checked. They're fourth worst in the league in goals for. Like, this is not a high-powered offense that you, that you just caught at the wrong moment or, or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just – and what's crazy is is how unlikable McDavid has become. Like, right. The, he has not looked good. Started with the Evander Kane thing, but he basically said, like, what happens off the ice is one thing. Like, he'll, he'll help us win games, but we trust uh, the GM if he wants to bring him in. And everyone's just sort of like, are you serious? And then now just like, what are you saying after these losses? There's not like – and I don't blame him. You know that he's he's broken down. He's 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 upset. Whatever. He's sort of melancholy. But uh, at the same point, like you're the captain. You're the face of the franchise. Like show me something. Show me some spark. Show me some energy. Show me some. How upset are you? Because right now he just looks like he's he's downtrodden. He's 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 got nothing there. There's no spark behind his eyes. So it's it's crazy. And I mean, are we really like you? I was always thinking, okay, they're struggling. They'll get hot. They'll turn it on and they'll they'll win, you know, nine out of ten, and they'll be back in a playoff spot, and then and then maybe they'll lose in the first round again, but they'll be there. And now we're talking about uh, they might be sellers at the deadline, John. The Edmonton Oilers, with the two best players in the world, they're going to be not even like not in contention, sellers. They're going to be sellers. But the the sad thing with Ed, with Edmonton is they are resigned to their future. They don't have anybody to sell off. When you look at their roster. They have McDavid, Dreinsidel, and Hyman. And other than that, if I'm a GM looking at this roster, who, who do I want? They have nobody wor- worth anything that they can trade and get a decent return on. Who? A Warren Fogle? You can't get rid of Fogle because you traded Ethan Bear for him. A Zach Cassian? 
I don't think he's going to get anything in return. Jesse Poviari, I want to resign him because he's had a good season. Like he's the only asset that I think they would get any return on, but I want to keep Poviari. He's 23 years old. He's finally coming into his own. I'm going to re-up him at the end of the year. And then when you go on the back end, the only, only asset they maybe have is Tyson Berry. That's it. But Tyson Berry isn't going to get you much in return. You're not going to get a first rounder for Tyson Berry. So it's just, it's a bad situation. And you nailed it with his comments. He, he is so quickly turned into a villain. And we talked about it two weeks ago when they, res- they, they lost a few games in a, go- in a row. And we, we commented on the response they had. You know, we'll figure it out. We're playing well. We're just not getting the bounces. You know, we'll write the ship some way. And that's not what you want to hear from a team when they've lost eight in a row. You want to hear that they're pissed off. You want to hear that they're not going to take it anymore. You want the coach to be bag skating them. You want them to be challenged. You want them to, you want them to just have that fire. These guys don't have it. On the ice, in the locker room, when they're doing interviews, they just look like they're resigned to losing. They, they know their fate. And it's like, we're going to lose. We're the Edmonton Oilers. There's, there's no will. There's no passion. There's, there's nothing. They are dead behind their eyes. And I don't know if that's just a Connor McDavid thing where he has just lived a charmed life and now he's come to Edmonton and it's just been, everything's gone completely wrong. There's a funny meme <laughs> when Connor played for the Erie Otters, he got a little upset going into the locker room one time and he said some explicit expletives and there was a meme going around when the Oilers won the draft lottery and then it just switches to Connor going ah! like swearing the effort really, really loud going into the locker room. Once he found out that the Oilers won the lottery, this is what's happening. He is with the Edmonton Oilers until 2026, 27, where he becomes an unrestricted free agent. What do you do if you're Ken Holland? Is there anything you can do? Is there anything you can do at all to write this ship? You've traded away your third rounder. You don't have a fourth rounder. Your second rounder is a conditional second rounder based on the Duncan Keith trade, which they're going to keep their second rounder because there's no way they're making the playoffs. So what do you do? Do you you even, are you even in on Evander Kane anymore? Is that even a thing? Like what, what is the answer, Tim, to, to, to fixing this organization at this point? Man, I don't know. I don't know because, like you said, they, they don't have really pieces to trade, and the ones that they could trade are people they want to lock up, like the Poli RV. Um, I could, you know, Kyler Yamamoto's name's been thrown around, but even still, what's he going to get you? Like, it's it's nothing that's going to impact their franchise either now or in the long run. So, I don't know. I don't envy this job, and and I hate to. The idea of breaking those two up and trading, like, can you build a franchise team when you've got 20 plus million dollars on two players? Can you build yeah. a, can you even do it? Is it possible? Does the math even add up? But like you have to strike, you'd have to like hit gold on every signing, every draft pick. And, and hopefully in a couple of years, they all come up together. But these guys aren't getting younger. I don't know. But you Tampa's can't trade me either. You can't trade. Tampa's got 30 million locked up with three guys. Kucherov, Stamkos, and Point. Okay. They seem to be doing pretty well. Then you add on, you got Hedman locked up for another 7.8. So they, like almost $40 million in four guys, they're doing pretty well. So it, it can be done. It yeah. is possible. But when you look at a Tampa roster, they they surround them with a Palat, a Sorelli, a Kalorn. Uh, all, all these other players. guys. They were all yes. brought in. All, all, all Tampa Bay products. So there's a way to do it. And there's a way to do it the right way. 
the Oilers just haven't had a good GM. Chirelli and Holland are just terrible GMs. There was a, a guy who broke down all of Holland's moves for the last 10 years going back to Detroit. Every single move he has made has just been atrocious. He's a bad GM, unequivocally a bad GM. He stepped into a good situation in Detroit when he had some really solid players and he hit that jackpot, much like Mike Babcock did. And they rode that wave and now they're still riding it. Everyone thinks he's a really, this genius. Go back and look at all the signings he's made in Detroit. I don't know who, who had the little Twitter thread, but it was really interesting. He's a bad GM. And he's driving this Edmonton Oilers team into the ground for the foreseeable future. When you look at the signings he made and the difference he's made on this team, the only decent signing he made, I'll give him Warren Fogle. Fogle's a good player. He He's maybe living up to his contract. He gets 2.75. I like Warren Fogle. Other than that, the Darnell Nurse contract is a bad contract. For as much as I like Darnell Nurse, he's going to be making 9.25. That's a, that's a lot of money for a Darnell Nurse type player. Duncan Keith taking on that whole contract without making Chicago pick up any of that money is still, I scratch my head. Signing Tyson Berry to 4.5 doesn't make any sense. Cody Ceci, 3.25. It, it just, I, I don't understand it. Re-upping Mike Smith. There's a lot of question marks and there's a lot of swing and a miss from Ken Holland, but I don't want to talk about Edmonton anymore. Unless they sign Evander Kane, that's it. There's no reason to. They're a bad hockey team. They don't deserve to be talked about. And this is it. Agreed? Or we'll be talking about them next episode. They're, they're not going to go away. They're like they'll find the, some way to make a headline. But. They're the X. You can't quit. I'll text them at night, see what they're up to. But it's just, it's just enough is enough. Now, let's get in. We've talked about the Oilers. I want to just touch on real quickly, who are the serious Stanley Cup contenders? Like who are who are legit Stanley Cup contenders? Because there's feel good stories in the standings. There, there's teams that are making runs. It's all it's all great. But at the end of the day, when you get down to brass tacks, who are the serious Stanley Cup contenders? Let's start with the East because the East has a lot of Stanley Cup contenders, in my opinion. We'll start with the Metropolitan. They got a, they got a lot of good teams in this division. In my opinion, the Rangers, Carolina, Pittsburgh, all three of those teams could win the Stanley Cup. Do you think the Capitals are in that group or no? Or do you think the Rangers, Carolina, and Pittsburgh should not be included in the Stanley Cup contender group? I think all four of them have to be contenders. Washington um, as well. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just because when you think about like the, the experience that group has – they're they're a good team top to bottom. They've been struggling lately. I don't think they're quite as good as the others, but I, I think you got to put them as a serious contender, though. I disagree. I think the last month and a half, they've been in a huge slump. Not a huge slump, but they've been slumping. They were a dominant team for the first month and a half. I think their age is starting to show. They are 4-4-2 four, four, and two in the last 10. When you look at the, the contenders, Pittsburgh is just... They have been on fire lately. Carolina, steady as she goes. The Rangers. The Rangers have the core pieces that you need to win a Stanley Cup. They have a strong goaltender. Their MVP, Vesna Trophy candidate, Igor Shosturkin. He's been lights out. He is the second coming of Henrik Lundqvist. The Rangers needed that. They have very good top-end defensemen in Truba and Fox. And they have strong superstars who can really carry the load and they're, they're playing well. So that, that's what makes me nervous about the Rangers. If I'm playing in the playoffs, they have the pieces in the right spot to be a really dangerous team. If 
somehow the young kids can continue to play well, the Kapokakkanens, the Alex Refenyes, if they continue to contribute, they're a dangerous team. They're, they're the only one of those three where I'm like, maybe they're not a Stanley Cup contender. Maybe the Rangers are on the outside looking in, but definitely Carolina and definitely, definitely, gosh, who was the other team I just said, Tim? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, definitely Pittsburgh. I like the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's like what's old is new again. Latang is playing at just a high level of hockey right now. Malkin has come back like he hasn't missed a beat. All these young guys are scoring. They they came back. They were down 3 nothing to the Vegas Golden Knights after the first period. Was it last night or two nights ago? They came back and absolutely worked the Knights and beat them 5-3. to three. It was just a complete – I shifted. I don't know what happened between the first and the second period, but the Penguins came out and they said, our game, see you later, bye-bye Vegas. And Vegas is a pretty good team. Pittsburgh's better at this point. Once Jack Eichel comes back, completely different conversation. But at this point, those three teams are my Stanley Cup contenders in the Metropolitan Division. The Atlantic, Tim, a lot of good teams in the Atlantic. Right now in the East, the eight teams are locked in for the playoffs. Go look at the standings, everybody. It's, It's amazing, the top eight versus the bottom eight. It, it's a night and day. The goal differential, the points, everything. There's a top eight, and it's locked in. There's no way Columbus is going to jump. New Jersey, Philly, the Islanders, Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal. Those eight teams, not a chance they're going to make the playoffs. In the Atlantic, my Stanley Cup contenders are Florida, Tampa Bay, and Toronto and Boston. All four of them. I could see all four of those teams hoisting the cup. So that means in the East, in my opinion, seven of eight could win the Stanley Cup, which is absolutely bananas to me. Do and you Washington, think Washington drive men out? Washington's my odd man out. And this is not because I have this vendetta against Washington. I enjoy Washington. I just think they're old. I think their age is showing and they are starting to slow down. I don't think they're as deep as you, you, you say they are. I just think when you look at all eight teams in, in the Eastern conference, they're the odd man out. They have okay. Goaltending. They're okay. Like Vitek Vitek Vanacek is a good goalie. I think they have a lot of high-end forwards. Kuznetsov has had a good season. Backstrom's been playing well. I don't think their depth is too great on the back end. That's that's their Achilles heel. You know, after John Carlson, who do you have? Nick Jensen, Dmitry Orlov, Van Riemsdyk, Matty Irwin, Justin Schultz. It's it's not an inspiring group. So that that's my only concern there. But yeah, they're they're the odd one out in the East for me. What about the Atlantic? I said all four are there. I think all four could potentially raise the cup. Yay, nay? Is there someone yes. I'm kind of maybe overselling? No, I think they're all, I mean, Toronto is kind of like the, the joke, but yeah, I think they could all win the cup for sure. Is, do you think Boston is right there? You don't think they need to add a second line center? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that they may not have a stronger case as some other teams. They're not a favorite for sure, but they're definitely a serious contender. The way they've been playing lately, they got Tuka back. They can, they're making a little bit of cap space. They, they put Carson Kuhlman on on the waivers this weekend and he got picked up. So they've got like three and change million in cap space, not to mention p- potentially trading DeBrusque. So yeah, I, they're, they're right there. How has DeBrusque been doing? Do you know, has, has he been actually playing fairly well to increase his value? What's been the story with him? Because he, he asked for this trade a couple months ago and then it's just been completely no news on, on DeBrusque. So what's been going on with him? Uh, he's looked pretty good. I've been watching the games. He looks like he's got a little spark. Um, a lot of shots on that, creating opportunities. I'm pulling up his stats now of his game log. Like, he hasn't scored in a while. Um, 
so he isn't producing much, but he, the efforts there, he, has, he only still only has one goal in his last like 12 games or something. So the stats aren't there, um, but it does seem like he's trying more though. Which is, you know, it's expected. You should try, but you know, he's getting yeah. power play time. He's on the third line. If they can get rid of his contract, get a second line center, maybe David Krejci gets over his Pasternak issues and comes back, or maybe they take a run at a, at a Thomas hurdle. Maybe or they- Claude Giroux. That's the one I got my eye on now. Wow. Yep. Oh, that would be, be interesting. Some, yeah, we'll get to the Flyers in a few minutes. It had to be some yeah. cap finagling, but yeah. He's, well, this, he's, yeah, go ahead. This next little segment will be a quick one. The, the playoff contenders in the West. So the East is just absolutely, it's strong. There's a lot of strong teams in the East. When you, when you jump on a plane and head West, something happens. In, okay. In my opinion, there are two Stanley Cup contenders in the West. And we said this last year. At the start of the season, I thought there'd maybe be more. Right now, to me, Vegas and Colorado. Those are the only two teams that I can see at all lifting the Stanley Cup. All the other teams, I have huge issues with them. The only There's a few question marks. St. Louis right now, they're a good hockey team. I don't trust their goaltending. I came across a pretty interesting stat with St. Louis. Their starting goaltender is Jordan Binnington, correct? So when Jordan Binnington starts, they are 11-8-3. When he doesn't start, they are 11-3-2. So I'm not a mathematician, but I would say the winning percentage is better without their starting goaltender. Now, I don't know if this is a case where they just start the backups versus the garbage teams and Jordan Binnington gets all the tough tough matchups, or Jordan Binnington isn't playing that well. I don't follow the Blues that much, that closely. So that's something you want to keep an eye on. But the, the, the numbers just don't they don't look good for the St. Louis blues, the Minnesota wild. They've been hit by the injury bug. They've been hit by the COVID bug. They're the only team in my opinion, in the West who could challenge Colorado and the Vegas golden Knights. If they get healthy, if all the pieces are in place, they are a very good hockey team. I've said it dozens of times. I like myself, some Minnesota wild. The caveat is they all need to be on the ice at the same time. And for the last month and a half, for whatever reason, big pieces have been out. Jonas Brodin went down. Kirill Kaprizov went down. A couple of the pieces have gone down. When everybody's on the ice, they are a very, very dangerous team. They've shown it. They can compete with Vegas. They can compete with Colorado. So that's the issue with Minnesota. Colorado, they started the season slow. I think they got four wins in their first 10. Everybody was questioning the offseason moves. What's going on in Colorado? In their last 25 games, they are 23-2. and two. That's a lot. Uh, that, that's a lot of wins. Not a lot of losses. So they're a very dangerous team. Their first line is just an absolute just tank. The fact that they're not more representative of the All-Star game is just insane. It's a travesty that they don't have more guys in the All-Star game. So I like Colorado. I like Vegas. Once Vegas gets Eichel, oh, I just get excited about it. Is there anybody else, Tim, that you can see in the West potentially just jumping into that group? No, it's funny. I was, I don't just say this to agree with you, but it's like Colorado and Vegas, obviously. And then I think the next best team is actually not even, I mean, they're in a wild card spot. They're not even one of the top playoff teams, but I skip past St. Louis and Nashville. I skip over LA and Anaheim. I'm going to Minnesota wild is the next team. I think that they're just the way that they play the game is like, it, it's a uh, creates frustration. Like the way that the, way the system, the players they have, and it's a hard team to play against, not just because they're chippy, which they are, but they're really good at shutting down other teams. And then they have surprising offense. And I think 
like the the Nick Felinos of the, uh, sorry Marcus Felinos of the world is exactly the type of player you want to kind of build around for a deep playoff run. So I, I like those guys, but I think yeah, when it comes down to it, it's Colorado and Vegas. Would you say Colorado is a wagon? Um, I don't know exactly if that's a good or a bad thing. So I would say Colorado right now is my favorite in the West, but that all is contingent upon Jack Geico. And we'll touch on him near the end of the show. There's some news with Jack, but right now Colorado is by far head and shoulders above every team in the Western conference right now. They have, they have just set themselves apart. They absolutely dominate every team in their division in the last 10, they're eight, one and one. They're unbeatable at home. They're 16, two and one. When they get away from Colorado, things get a little more dicey. They're nine, six and two, but they're just a very strong team. The goal differentials through the roof. They have a, a high powered offense. Everybody knows that they can complement that with some really good pieces in the back end with Gerard, with Taves, with McCarr. They have a very, very, very good hockey team. So I like them. They just have all the pieces you need to win a Stanley cup. But we've said this for the last three years with Colorado. This is this is a broken record with the Avalanche. It doesn't matter what they do in the regular season. They were gifted all these beautiful players with beautiful contracts. They managed to work it, so they have a long just dynasty potentially. So far, they bumbled it. They haven't been able to do anything in the playoffs. So once we get to that stage, we'll see if the Colorado Avalanche are for real. But right now, I like them. I like them a lot. You know what else I like? I like food. I like to order food. I like to get it delivered to my door. And that's where DoorDash comes in. I love DoorDash. All my listeners know I love DoorDash. Tim knows I love DoorDash. You need to love them too if you don't already use them. Go to DoorDash, get the app, go online and hook up DoorDash on your computer or your iPad or your tablet, whatever you use to get your internet. Use DoorDash. We have a promo code with them. We get a big time discount. I think we're the only one in the world who has this discount because they love dropping the gloves so, so much. Use promo code GLOVESDDUS if you're, if you're in the USA. You get 25% off. You get free, deli- free delivery, Tim. Free. You don't pay for it. It means it's free. Your first order is pretty much just on the house because you get 25% off and a free delivery. It's insane. In Canada, promo code GLOVESDD. It helps us out. It helps you guys out. You get food delivered fast, whatever you want. You can even get beers and grocery stores. It's, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing invention. So check it out. They're the best in the business. Tell them we sent you. Gloves DD, if you're in Canada, Gloves DD US, if you're in the United States of America. We have, we have listeners all over the world, Tim. So when we do promo codes, we can't just do a, a USA one. We're going to have a promo code in Australia. We should have one in Norway and Sweden. We have it, we're worldwide. Wide, wide. Speaking of Canada, whoa, whoa, Canada, not oh, Canada, whoa, Canada, and not like whoa, like good whoa. It's like whoa is me whoa. Why does Canada suck so bad right now? Just a blank <laughs> question, Tim. Answer it. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. Some of it makes sense. Some of it just defies logic, like the Oilers. It just doesn't make any sense, you know. Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Winnipeg, Ottawa, Montreal. Every one of those teams is dog poo. They're all bad. They're all bad. There's no hope for any of those teams. The only hope in Canada is Toronto. I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it. Canada hasn't won a Stanley Cup champion since the Montreal Canadiens in 1984. I don't know why it's so hard to win in Canada. I played in the league for a long time. 
to to toot my own horn. I honestly believe, and this is this is a theory that I have. No one wants to play in Canada because of the pressure. The media is just through the roof. If you make a mistake, it gets amplified on ten different channels and on every front page of the newspaper, and you just have to deal with so much more than you would if you played in a in a smaller market or even a bigger market like New York or Chicago or LA where you're not the top ticket. It just it takes a special type of person to want to embrace all of that media pressure. Then on top of that, you don't make more money because you're playing in Canada and the taxes are through the roof. There's a lot of negative things in the Canadian cities. No offense. I love Canada. I was born there. I was raised there. The attraction level for cities for a player. When you look at a city like Edmonton and Calgary and Winnipeg and Ottawa, just the city itself, there's a lot of negative things there when you compare it to a city like Nashville, Tampa Bay, Dallas, LA, New York, Florida, and the list goes on and on and on. Temperature, things to do, proximity to things to do. When, when you're trying to sell a house and you highlight the, the highs, it's got a new roof, it's got a new kitchen, you know, it, it's, it's got five bedrooms. When you're trying to sell the Edmonton Oilers, we got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreinsidel. That's it. That's it. That's all you have to sell the team. City is cold. Restaurants are average. There's nothing fun. And listen, I have relatives who live in Edmonton. I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm bashing it. Same with Calgary. Calgary's a little nicer. You know, got the stampede in the summer. doesn't really affect us. Dumpy rink. We got Kachuk. We got Markstrom. We got Johnny Hockey. That's it. Winnipeg, coldest city on earth. No good food in Winnipeg at all. Maybe a decent steakhouse if the chef's having a good night. Other than that, we got an aging forwards. Like there's nothing. Our rink is tiny. It seats like 500 people. Ottawa, our rink is in the middle of nowhere. So cold. Nobody wants to be there. It, it, there's no good selling points. Vancouver's the only one where I'm like, sushi's out of this world. It's got a pretty wicked, you know, shoreline. I, I could see Vancouver being the only one. That's why I didn't include them in Toronto. Toronto is Toronto. It's a big city. I, I know. We got CN Tower, Skydome. I was just thinking, like, when's the last time a major, major free agent signed with a Canadian team? And I think John Tavares, but he's from, he's but he's from Toronto. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, I, I would look to the roster. I'm sure someone could prove me wrong. But even like, yeah, I, it's been, it's probably been a decade since like, a, like one of the biggest, a major free agent superstar signed with a Canadian team. It just doesn't happen. Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah. Basketball. But I don't know. What's breaking news, Tim? The Montreal Canadiens have named a new GM, general manager. There's been searches going on for a few weeks. This is someone I do not know. Kent Hughes. Do you know him? Never heard of him. Doesn't sound French. No, doesn't sound. What's French. his bio? Read it off, Tim. Enlighten us. Who is Kent Hughes? Um. So Pierre LeBrun said that Jeff Gordon Gordon has known Hughes for many years. Hughes wasn't part of the first wave of interviews until finally interviewing on Monday, last Monday, wasn't an easy decision for Hughes to leave his agency business. Um, Dreger said that he had a very lucrative client list. Habs ownership must have really stepped up with their offer. 
Gordon has been keen on Hughes for years. They have a long relationship. Timing and dollars likely weren't a fit prior, but this is a good hire for the Canadians. That's all I know. Uh, so he's, they signed him. him to a five-year contract. He's been an NHL player agent for 25 years. Wow. So he hasn't been in the actual hockey business side of it, like um, scout GM, assistant GM, that sort of deal. So he's never been employed by a team, but he's been an agent for 25 years. He's a Montreal native. Interesting. So he does speak French. So that helps. His, his clients include Patrice Bergeron, Chris Letang, and Darnell Nurse, among others. Ooh, ooh, maybe get those guys to come to Montreal. So he has to give up his agency business. That's a tough, uh, that's a tough, tough break. I, I don't know if I would have done that deal, but um, you know, whatever. It, who cares? I know they were t- Patrick Wall was linked to that job. We'll see. I no comment until I figure out what his background is. That's interesting. We finally got a breaking news, Tim. That's awesome. Good for us. All right, moving on. San Jose Sharks, Tim, have slowly, slowly played themselves into a playoff position, which is not hard to do in the Pacific Division when all the teams are trash. Edmonton can't win a game. Calgary's been struggling. Vancouver started off so slow that they had such a deficit to overcome. Seattle is just, they're a glorified East Coast team at this point. They're terrible. So all that aside, San Jose has been piling up the wins. And you would think they are led by their captain, Logan Couture. They are led by Thomas Hurdle. Their defense, those are the guys who are carrying the luggage. No, it's been Timo Meyer. Timo, Timo, Timo Meyer has not so quietly, because we've been talking about him on this podcast, been putting together an all-star type season. All-star indeed, he was named to the all-star team this past month. He scored five goals, Tim. Five goals. There's only been five people who have scored five goals in the last 25 years in the NHL, and he is one of them. What do you think of Timo Meyer? Just give us the breakdown. Are San Jose Sharks a legit playoff contender, or is this muddled the waters with them as far as being sellers and buyers? Well, so he's at like five goals versus the Kings. I think it was yesterday. Um, he's, he leads the team now with 45 points in 35 games. So he's doing really well. Um, and I think he's, you got to talk about him turning into a legit star in this league. And you, you talk about his production this year, the all-star, you kind of like, well, yeah, obviously, but not quite, because he's never been on a point-per-game basis in his entire career. He had 60-something and 70-something games his sophomore year, but that was five or six years ago. So he's never really touched this type of production. So I think hopefully for his sake and for the fans that he's sort of breaking out into a legit star winger in this league, and this isn't an aberration. And the Sharks, they've done pretty well. They're 6-3-1 and one in their last 10, fourth in the Pacific, so they've got a playoff spot currently. And, and though no one else like is producing like Timo Meyer, you're getting pretty solid production from, from Hurdle, from Couture, and from both Burns and Carlson. Carlson put up his 500th NHL assist the other day, by the way. Um, and the goaltending has been pretty good. Not elite, but better than average, maybe, maybe, maybe about average. But Reimer, their starting goaltender is 12, 7, and 1, 2.65 goals against, 918 save percentage, and he's got a shout out to his name. So this, I think to answer your question, this does muddy the waters because they, they're not, definitely, they're not a serious contender. They're just not. And they should probably make the playoffs if they keep this up. But then again, like we talked about this before, I think as a GM and an ownership group, you've got to be realistic. you got to be like, anything can happen in the playoffs. And I know that for the fans' sake, for the players' sake, if they have a chance of going on a run, they should probably do it. But if you think about the long-term health of this franchise, are they not better off to be sellers? Or at the minimum, stand pat. Like they're definitely not going to add anyone at the deadline. They've got a little bit of space, about just under $5 million. So 
they have the option to do so if they want, but I still think that they should explore trading some of these contracts, specifically Hurdle. He's the big one um, making five and change. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's probably not coming back. Um, but if you look at their production and their winning over the last 10 games and the standings work in their favor, how can you really move on from him or anybody else? Yeah, it, it's a tricky situation. And I know I know Doug Wilson, their GM, and he likes to make a big splash of the deadline. But I just want to touch on Timo Meyer. I actually did a little digging. It's hard to make an impact on an NHL team when you're a skilled guy, which he was. He was coming out of the queue. He was a high-end guy. When he came into the league, the list of forwards in front of him were – it was – there was a lot of high-end guys. They had Pavelski, Couture, Thornton, Marlowe, Bodker, Chris Tierney, Melker Carlson, Tom, Thomas Hurdle, Kevin LeBanc. So when you step onto that team, and Jonas Donskoy as well, when you're a skilled guy, you need to be getting top-line minutes. You need to be on the first or second power play to make a difference. You can't just jump into a team and say, okay, I'm going to play the fourth line, I'm going to get fourth-line minutes, and I'm going to score points. That's not how it works. So they set him up for failure his first couple years. And that's not a result of the San Jose Sharks just being badly coached. It's just a matter of numbers. His next year, the same thing. All those top guys are there. Then it doesn't get any easier. You, you lose a Joe Pavelski, but then you bring in a Devander Kane. So I think this year is the first year where he's really gotten first-line minutes. He's been able to be on the first power play unit. He's playing with Thomas Hurdle on the first line. And you're just getting the true sense of who Timo Meyer is as a player. He's a bulldog as a player. He's, he's big. He's strong. He can get up and down the ice. And you're seeing the fruits of just letting him play, giving him minutes, letting him just be creative, not worrying about being sent down to the AHL or being benched or being put on a third, fourth line because he made a few bad plays. And he's a really good hockey player. So it just begs to question, like, how many guys around the league are in the same situation where they're, they're stuck behind a lot of guys on the roster and they just need an opportunity? Because Timo Meyer, he, he was a high draft pick. He just needed, he needed an opportunity, and he's getting it, and he's running with it right now. But going back to the playoffs, you got to sell. You got to be sellers. You can't be the guy left sitting there with a Thomas Hurdle contract when the season's over and you're like, oh, I hope we're going to make a run. We're going to be the Montreal Canadiens this year. We're going to be the Dallas Stars this year. Those two teams were exciting. They were good stories. That's not the norm. The last two years have just been strange. I don't know why it's happened two consecutive years. That's not the norm. You need to move away from a Thomas Hurdle. You, <sighs> Timo Myers, it's a tricky situation. He's not, he signed for one more year for $6 million, which is a good number if he's a point-per-game guy. But then he's an RFA. <sighs> I don't know. The big problem with this team is the back end. Carlson's been playing better. Burns has been playing better. Vlasic is not. Is anybody going to jump on those grenades of a contract that they have? I don't think so. So this team is saddled with these bad contracts for the next five, six, seven years. It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Do you, do you package a Carlson and a hurdle and send them off to a team and eat some of Carlson's contract just to get out from under it? Carlson's 31. He makes 11 and a half. That's a big contract. He's still a very good defenseman when he wants to be. I don't know, but you have to make moves. You, you cannot just go into the playoffs being a fourth seed in the Pacific and expect to go on a run like Dallas Stars or the Montreal Canadiens did the last few years. It's just, it, it's not a good management move if you try to do that. Don't you think? I think you have to trade everybody if you can. You, you, you sell 
you sell everybody, get as many draft picks as you can. You still have some de- decent pieces to build around. If you keep Timo Meyer, you got Logan Couture locked up for a long time. You got Mario Ferraro, who's a pretty good defenseman. You, you start to build around those guys and you maybe, you know, three, four years down the road, you're a good hockey team again and you can contend for a Stanley cup, but you can't right now with Vlasic Burns and Carlson. I'm sorry. You can't do it. Their window was three, four years ago. It's not anymore. The age is like Burns is 36. Vlasic is 34. Carlson is 31. Vlasic is 34. He's played a million games. Burns is 36. He's played a million games. They played a lot of hockey and I like the guys, but it's just, it's time. They, they have to, they have to trade. This winning streak is not helping anything. It might help the value of some of the players a little bit. That's the only thing. The team is in the opposite direction. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Just real quick. Brent Burns, he's 36 years old. He's on the contract for four more years. You know him pretty well. Is there any chance he retires before that contract's over? No, no, not none whatsoever. He, he loves money. He's not going to, he's not going to walk away when you're paying him $8 million a year. He's not going to walk away from that. Not a chance in the world. And he's still like, he's still a valuable defenseman. He's on their first line power play. He plays with Mario Ferraro on the first unit. He's eating up minutes. He's still a pretty good defenseman. So, no, I don't see him walking away at all. None of these guys is going to retire. I don't know Carlson, but it doesn't look like he has any any inkling of leaving. When you're making 11 and a half, man, you got to drag me off the ice to get me to walk away from that contract. Yeah, not a chance. Let's talk about a team. We, we touched on Drew earlier. The team was in a complete opposite situation as the San Jose Sharks. Flyers started off strong. They had a 10-game losing streak. Won a couple games. Now they're currently on an eight-game losing streak. It's pretty impressive when you can have losing streaks of that size in an NHL season. They're a bad hockey team. Bad goal differential. Montreal, Seattle, Arizona, Buffalo are the only four teams that have a worse goal differential than Philadelphia, which says a lot because those four teams are just atrocious. Why are they not succeeding, Tim? I know. You're a Philly insider. Everyone knows that. You love your Philly cheesesteaks. What's going on in Philadelphia right now? So, like you said, they've got eight straight losses. They're seventh in the Metro, which put them behind the New Jersey Devils, which is just blasphemous. Um, they're minus 34 as a team goal differential. Only Montreal, Seattle, Arizona, and Buffalo are worse. Um, they've got a bunch of expiring contracts that, that kind of work in their favor. I mentioned Giroux, although he makes quite a bit of money. Um, so, I don't know, like, they'd have to, you know, eat some of that cap in order to move him. But they've got a few other expiring contracts, too, including Reese Linen, Keith Yando, Justin Braun. Um, and all those guys, you know, those are good defensemen that people will want. Um, a couple of others, but I think they'll hang on to like the Morgan Frost of the world and Zach McEwen. So, God, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense because on paper, they're a good team. They have good players. Like Giroux was good, Couturier, uh, JVR, Atkinson. Like these are good players. A back end, like Provorov is a good player. You know, like Risto, he should, he should be better than this. I don't really understand what it is. It's something, it's got to be something endemic, like in the culture. It's a, whatever it is, deeply rooted. It's not something that bringing in new players, like we thought this offseason, we were, we thought they had maybe the best offseason of anyone this year. And, and it's still not helping them at all. If anything, they're getting worse. So I, I don't know. I mean, if you had to bring it down to one or two main reasons, what do you think the reason this team isn't succeeding? Well, the goaltending, they, they did have some early goaltending success. Martin Jones played well. Carter Hart played well, but they haven't been strong. And I just think they're, I don't think they're a team that likes being around each other. I really don't. I think Voracek and Giroux had a really good relationship. I don't think they're friends. I truly don't. I think these guys come to the rink, they punch in, they punch out. 
it just seems like they aren't they aren't friendly with each other. And when you go on the ice and when you're in the locker room and you're in the plane and you're on the bus and you're around these guys night in and night out and you don't like each other, it, it shows up on the product. And that I truly believe maybe I'm completely off base and they're all best friends, but just from the body language, just from how they act around each other on the ice, it doesn't look like these guys are having fun. It doesn't look like they're enjoying themselves. And maybe that comes just from years of just letdown. Claude Giroux, James Van Riemsdyk, these guys have been here their whole career. They haven't done anything. They've been a complete failure every single year. They have always high expectations. They go out and they get players. They're gonna, this is going to be the year, other than their one Stanley Cup run where they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks in the finals, they've been, they've been a failure every single year. If I'm the GM, I'm getting rid of Giroux. I'm trying to get rid of anybody I can. You got to start all over. You have some decent pieces, but I don't know. I feel like because I like Philadelphia. They invested in Carter Hart. He has not been the goalie they want him to be. Provorov is a good defenseman, like you said. Get rid of Ristolainen. Get rid of Braun. Get rid of Yandel. Got to start all over. I don't know. They they have a hard division they play in. When you look up and you got to play the Rangers, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Washington, Columbus, every single night, every single month, it's a tough pill to swallow knowing that you're going to go into those barns and lose every single night because they're better than you. They have better talent. The Rangers are younger and faster. Carolina are younger and faster. Pittsburgh is older and faster. Washington is older and faster. Everybody's better than you. Everybody is better than you. They were kind of going to hang their hat on their defense this year. Ellis has been in and out of the lineup. Risto hasn't really panned out. You know, I, I think people were expecting him to get out of Buffalo and be really good shutdown defenseman. He's been okay but I don't think he's been the guy they wanted him to be to come in and, you know, anchor the second power play unit, be a strong physical in your face defenseman. Cause that was a problem last year. They were soft in front of the net. There was a big issue of players not clearing out, you know, just being a physical tough defense to play again. And he hasn't really been the answer to that question. So oh, Philly, you got to trade them all. And they're all valuable pieces. They'll get, they'll get some draft picks. They'll get some prospects back. Claude Giroux. Oof. He is Gosh, if he goes to Boston, man, oh, man, that would be exciting. That would be very exciting to see him go there. Second we'll, line center. Second line oh, center. man, that would be really fun to watch. So let's do some quick hits. We touched on Jack Eichel earlier. The Knights owner, Jack Jack's back in a couple of weeks. Is that, that seems a little early, don't you? Think that's a I mean, little early? I take the owner's word for it. The, the big question for him is like, regardless of how he feels now or how the recovery goes, there's not a real challenge until he takes a hit. And takes a couple of big hits until he plays some real NHL ice time. And then, like, how does the neck hold up then? Because that was always the thing. Like, he, can, he's, he feels good now. But, like, again, when, when he's being physical, when he's getting laid out, because he's going to be a target. Like, he's a target anyway for his skill. But even now, like, guys will know, and they're going to go after him. And that's how the neck holds up then is going to be the big question. I disagree. I don't think guys will go after him. I think, if anything, they'll let up. Why? I truly believe that. You don't want to be the guy who hurts Jack Eichel long-term and breaks his neck. If I saw him and I had a chance to line him up and I knew he's coming off the neck surgery and he's still kind of ease into it, I would let up on a hit on Jack Eichel. I really would. So I think you're wrong there. I think players will give him a little bit more room. They won't finish your check as hard. I truly believe that. Now, if he was, if it was a different guy and he was just a dirtbag of a player, I would – I would maybe finish it harder. The neck is a different surgery. The back is a different surgery. That's it. And I'm being completely honest. Well, you're probably right. And maybe most guys would agree with you, but it only takes one, right? It only takes one person or one fluke play. So one scumbag lean O'Brien hit 
that's all it's going to take. So I just hate that guy. I really do. It just it doesn't belong in the league. All right. Um, the Montreal Canadiens, Tim, seven wins, not in the month, not this year, in the whole season, seven wins. They are the worst team in the National Hockey League. They got embarrassed by the Arizona Coyotes last game. Cole Caulfield, everyone's, everyone's called her pick, right? Everybody had him, him on their list. He's got one goal, seven points, one goal, eight points, excuse me, seven assists, dash 15 in 25 games. Is this the biggest disappointment in NHL history? Biggest drop-off? It's definitely the biggest one I can remember. And Cole Caulfield, too, like, we saw what he did. He was the Hobie Baker. He was, like, the guy. And then he came to the playoffs, and he started producing, like, scoring these not just not a ton of goals, but big goals, right? Big goals and big moments in that playoff run. And we thought, you know what, like he's going to come back down to earth, the regular season grind, something different. But he's still a lock for 25 goals, probably, maybe 30. Maybe he's proved us wrong and he gets 40. Because wherever, like one thing he's done everywhere he goes is he scores goals. He's always done it. He's got one goal, one goal in 29 games. He drank the Kool-Aid. He drank uh, the Kool-Aid just like Suzuki did, just like everybody on the Canadians did. Last year was a fun story. Everybody loved it. Everybody drank that Kool-Aid thinking they were a really, really good hockey team. Off-season, everybody patting them on the back. Oh, man, this was a year for you guys. Look at, the, look at what you've done. Look at who you've signed. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. Maybe we're not going to work out as hard. Maybe we're not going to focus on the game as much as we should have. And this is what you get. This is the result of drinking that Kool-Aid. Caulfield's a good player. Hopefully this doesn't ruin his career, which it rightfully could. You know, we'll see what he's made of next year when he if he bounces back, if he bounces back, because that's a big if. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. Boston, some kind of heartwarming news in Boston the other night to me. Yeah, they are retiring Willie O'Ree's number tonight, putting it up in the rafters. Uh, obviously, he was the first ever African American player to play in the NHL. Really good story, well deserved, well timed too. With yesterday being Martin Luther King Day, so um, that'll be a lot of fun to to watch tonight for sure. Very good. I like that too. All right, Tim, it's time. The, the listeners want to know, they want to know where to, where to park their money, how much they should win, how much they should invest. You're, you're a gambling guru. You are a, just a profit when it comes to points bet. Let us know, please, Tim, let us know what we should do. Well, as you know, I'm back in the win column uh, with last week. And so I want to keep that going. I'll be with an underdog. I got Vancouver plus 145 over Nashville tonight. Vancouver is skidded a little bit after their hot start with, uh, what's his name, took over. but Boudreaux. Um, Boudreaux. And they lost to a bunch of good teams in a row, like the um, Tampa, Florida, Carolina. But those are great teams. They had a big win against Washington this weekend. I see them beating Nashville tonight, so at plus 145. Take it to the bank. Done. I like that. It's the last game for them in a long road trip. They want to end it on a high note, go back to Vancouver. I love the sushi in Vancouver. Did you know that? I'm not a big sushi guy. I'm allergic to shrimp, crab, and lobster. Vancouver still manages to fill me up somehow with sushi. Usually I go to a sushi restaurant and I spend a hundred bucks and I walk out and I'm like, where's, where's the McDonald's? I'm still hungry. Let's go get a pizza. They, they do it. I don't know how they do it. I get filled up. I'm so happy. I love it. Yeah, Vancouver sushi. I'm going to add the Vancouver sushi to the drop in the gloves bingo board. I think it's I think it's been brought up enough where this is this is a good addition. If you if you're a listener 
Tell me a better city that has better sushi than Vancouver in the whole world. I think it's the best. (laughs) What city has better sushi? I think it was developed in Vancouver. Doesn't sushi mean Vancouver? I think Uh, it means Vancouver. I'm guessing Tokyo probably has better sushi, but I've I've never heard of Tokyo. Is that on the East coast? Yeah. It's a suburb of Boston. (sighs) I've never been there, but you'll have to tell me uh, when we're, when we're done with this, but I'm serious. Tell me a city that has better sushi than Vancouver. And what I should get, because I'll go there and get it. Because I like a nice, a nice, you know, roll. I really do. I love it. No avocado, though. I'm allergic to avocado. It makes my tummy upset. No shrimp, crab, lobster, which makes it difficult when you're getting sushi, when you can't have those three crustaceans and then avocado, because everybody likes avocado now. Ugh, drives me nuts. All right. That's it, everybody. Anything else, Tim? No, that'll be it. I'm done. You know what? I just confirmed I'm going up to Michigan Tech next month. Winter nice. Carnival. Very exciting. Oh, I've been hearing a lot about that. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. I'm going to bring the whole family. So it's going to be a, it'll be a nice trip. Ice statues and everything. We'll, uh, Are you making a, 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 an appearance as a special guest? Yeah, I wouldn't go up there just on my own accord. So, uh, the, the head of the engineering department wants me to come up and be a part of his like retirement ceremony. So I'm going to go kiss some babies, shake some hands, sign some, sign some foreheads, and uh, be the show pony that he prances around so anyways it'll be fun i'm i'm excited for it the kids are excited for it that's next month so i don't know i just got the confirmation email right now very cool yes all right everybody well i hope you had a good monday i hope you're having a good tuesday we'll talk to you guys we're only gonna do two episodes this week i don't know i was so amped up after the bills when i needed to take monday off i was just so excited but we'll see you guys on thursday i hope everybody's doing well like i said cheers everybody Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.